life is developed over time. See, but after all these are in place or designed, you get everything designed first, the wiring, the plumbing, you build the walls. You don't build walls without knowing where your wiring is going to go, where your plumbing is going to go. You, that has to be designed first, then you build. Like, I got to fix, finish our bathroom. And I want to lay the plumbing, but I can't lay the plumbing until I, I build the wall, right? I build the wall, then I can begin to move. Well, these types of walls, or uh, the wall you build, rather, is determined by your foundation. Now I'm talking to you personally. Because whether you like it or not, or whether you know it or not, and most people know it, you all have walls. Right? Some, of, some have very high walls. Like they don't want no one to get close to them. You know, can't touch this. Dun, 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 dun. I mean, they have big walls. They don't... Some have little short walls. Some have easy walls. They don't jump right over. But you're going to build a wall. And the type of wall, whether it's a good wall or bad wall, is determined by the foundation. Right? So if you have a secure wall, good foundation, uh, the walls are needed. Everybody has to have certain modesty, certain respects. But if your foundation is all messed up, you have a bad foundation, then your walls tend to be misdirected. It's like this. It's like if you come into a relationship with a person, you're coming into a relationship with a person. Now, now, now if you're coming into a relationship, don't take it personal. I'm just giving you an example. If, if you're coming into a relationship with a person, but the, and the person you see is like, you know, nice, wow, like Sam, the nicest man in the world. Right? But then you get to find out about Sam, let's say Sam and another girl. No, I'm, I'm sorry, man, just an example. Already not, let me find a single one before my, my niece be, beats me up. But, but let's say they come together, right? You're not going to... That person's past relationship, if they had a bad one... Hello, someone. When you meet this person, you don't know that, that they had a bad person until you get to know them. And all of a sudden, you're going you're gonna to hit their walls. And sometimes the things you do or the things you experience with this new relationship had nothing to do with you. It had everything to do with the past wall that was built on a bad foundation. But you're the recipient. Anybody know? I guess you know what I'm talking about. Walls. So there's two types of walls, a secure wall and a bad wall. Now, if you look at our country, the walls of, of our society today ha has lost their foundation, right? I mean, think about it. There, you know, there's trouble all over the world. There's violence, roars, and rumors of war. And some people are still fighting about the fact whether uh, a man or a woman can use any bathroom. Hello, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, and so, what, what are we talking about here? What's happening here? What's happening to, to the foundations? And these are the things that we have to grow up through and try to make, make sense of it all. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm? Well, let's look at walls. Because every generation has walls, and they're actually called generational walls. And we can start back the baby boomers. These are individuals born between 1946 and 1964, right? I'm a baby boomer, right? Teenage baby boomers were very individualistic, individualistic and idealistic as they were born. They had just come out of a war, and America was a great superpower. So, so the whole country felt like 
we bad. You know what I mean? Like we won. Oh, we slapped Hitler around. We, 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 you know, so they had that type of thing and we can do anything, right? Uh, all uh, these baby boomers, they felt they could change the world because they've seen the world change. And when you think of some baby boomers who changed the world, Steve Jobs, the first one comes to my head, Apple, that man changed the world because he believed he could because he was a baby boomer. You know, Bill Gates, I think it's worth 90 billion at last count. He changed the world. In fact, everything we deal with and touch with today somehow touches those two men. Hmm? They changed the world. But it wasn't, they were special. They just believed they could change the world because that's how they were brought up. Baby boomers took value in their work. And in fact, they didn't just want to work, they wanted meaningful work. Huh? Baby boomers were driven more than, 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 than they were rather driven more by their values than by their money. Well, they didn't, care. They, they, they didn't mind money, but their values is what drove them. Now what happened, by the time of the mid-generation boomers started having babies, those babies born about 1950, and they started having families, unemployment began to rise, right? So there were, people began to worry about their job. And so when the kids were born, they were born under a time when, when people were getting laid off. Hello, somebody. Because the previous baby boomers, they, they were motivated by their perks and, and prestige. Are you with me? Stay with me. I'm getting you somewhere. So then you had the next generation that were born when, when a lot of their parents were losing their jobs. Unemployment was rising. People were smoking too much dope. Hello, somebody. Everyone was getting high. The 70s come around, right? Are you with me? And now they're tripping. People are like, whoa, what's going on now? Right? And so the parents are feeding. Who are they feeding with their distress? Without noise, they're feeding their babies. Then you have Generation X, born between 1965 and 1977. Gen Xers have grown up with the, when it was corporate downsizing, massive layoffs, government scandals, and they come into a time where no longer could one person work, it had to be two people working. Prior to that, one person would work, the men would work. And the women didn't have to work. They could stay home and raise kids. But you had the feminism movement, and the women got their way. They wanted to work, work, work. And what happened when the women came into the, into the workforce, un, here's what you call a unintended consequences, because they have the right to work. When they came into the workforce, what happened is it began to depress the salaries of men. So, so people were getting paid less and less because if you have more workers, guess what? You pay everybody less. So wages were being depressed. We, oh, we have our rights. Yeah, you have a right to a cheaper job. Well, let me get back over here. I was going to get to another point, but I'll get off for a while. So Gen Xers were often left to do tasks alone or with their siblings. They were called latchkey kids. You ever heard of that phrase? They were left alone. I learned when I grew up, when I was growing up in the 70s, you know, my, my mom and dad were at work, so I learned how to cook. Brother can cook, amen? I, you know, I want a manudo, I'd make some manudo. I ain't playing around, I ain't waiting around. I'm cook, I'm getting down right now, right? <laughs> right? Gen Xers are comfortable with technology, diversity, and global awareness. You know, Gen X like to say, they tell, oh, you know, Grandpa, you don't know about technology. We got this, we got that. And I go, listen, young man, 
huh? People my age invented that. Get off me. Amen. Shoo. Huh? Then you have the next generation, millennial, generation Y, born between 1978 and 1989. These happen to be my children. Millennials have the reputation for being the toughest generation to manage. Not the toughest generation, just how do you deal with these kids? I want you to do this. Why? <laughs> what is the reason for your such talk to me? I'm going to shut up before I slap you. You know what I mean? It's like, the thing, they're, they're tough to manage. Always why, 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 why? They are tech savvy though, well networked, and achievement oriented. Like Gen Xers, many millennials were raised in two income families with their parents often away from home. Huh? Millennials tend to have strong relationships with their parents, and, and we do. Right? Millennials, like, like, I know my kids, they're like mama's boys and mama's girls. You know, they're, mama, 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 mama. I'm like, stop it already, man. Leave, leave my Puerto Rican woman alone. Get away from her, man. <laughs> uh, their parents also often focused on feeling every moment of their child's life. They want to make sure everything's handed to their kids. Millennials are very self-centered. They were often called they are often called the everybody gets a trophy generation. You ever hear that? It's like participation trophy. Get participation. If you're in second place, you don't get one. Only winners get a trophy. I'm a baby boomer. Generations go, they go, you know, look, look, mom, look, dad, I got a trophy. What'd you win? Nothing. Give me that trophy. Throw it away. You know, that ain't a trophy. A trophy's when you win. I'm a baby boomer. Millennials all, man, Pop, why are you so mean? You know, that's what, what's happened. See, what you're experiencing are generational walks. Nobody's right or wrong. It's just every generation has a wall that was built upon because they have a certain type of foundation. Are you with me? So we all have walls. Now look at the future. What shall we expect from Generation Z? Those babies born right now, right now, that are in the children's church. Huh? Being potty trained. Hallelujah, right? Those kids. See, from born from 1990 to, to present, uh, relatively little is firmly established about what they're going to be. We don't know, right? Any of their characteristics, their motivations, there's no ideal. But we'll know this these children. Will have grown up in the shadow of 911 huh, and the wars in the Middle East. They're going to have that as part of their foundation. The information generation now is far surpasses what anybody's ever experienced. The internet, YouTube, Facebook, smartphones. You know, we, we carry these smartphones, which really are high powered computers. Every one of us carries a high powered computer in our pocket. When I came to Colorado Springs, I would need 10 of the computers that I own, no more than that, 20 of the computers that I own when I came here to equal my smartphone right now. Right now. So we don't know what's going to happen. But I say the future generation could likely be the most worldly 
to ever exist on the planet. Here's where we're at. This is what we're dealing with. Now, the heart of the gospel is we're building the broken walls of our families. Amen? Yeah. But if we're going to do that, we have to scale the generational bar barriers and rebuild godliness in a decaying world. How are we going to do that? See, one thing I do know, Jesus says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The principles found in Scripture transcend every wall ever created. The devil cannot create a wall, a wall high enough to, to stop the, the penetration of the Word of God. I know that. So more today than ever, we have to stay true to the Word of God, not try to adapt to the world. No, my friend, stay true to the values, learn how to relate to the world, but never just to adapt to the world, because it is the values of Scripture that will keep us on track. Mm -hmm. For that reason, we need to build a strong church. We have an opportunity to rebuild many broken walls. They're all over this city. Everybody try to act like everything's cool, but it ain't cool. You walk around long enough, you see a whole bunch of mess. Hello, someone. Huh? And I'm not just talking in the neighborhood, I'm talking all over the place. Right? The whole bunch of mess everywhere. So we have to go out there. That's when Jesus, when they wrote about, about the, uh, the servant in Luke chapter 14, the master was telling him, go out to the streets, alleys of the town, bring back the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Remember that scripture in Luke chapter 14. And the servant said in verse 22, your order has been carried out, sir, but there's room for more. So the master said to the servant, go out into the country roads and lanes and make people come in so that my house will be filled. See, that's what we're called to do. How will they know? Lest they hear. And how shall they hear? Lest somebody say it to them. Right. I say this all the time. Our promise is we are, we are called, or rather, let's say it like this. God has promised to give us treasures out of darkness. Correct? Amen. That's it. All we have to do is get out there where the treasure are at, and they'll come. It's that simple. He mentioned Pastor Steve. Pastor Steve was a trip. He would do anything just to create a crowd. He had a, he had a movie projector. Back in the old days, this is the old days, where you had a projector, where you had a reel about this big with film on it, and you another reel on this side, right? And you run the tape through this big old giant machine, then you hook it up, and you push a button, get it rolling, and the film would go through, then it would project on the wall. You guys don't know nothing about that because you're spoiled brat, you have HD TV in your hands. <laughs> right? It's a trip. So, and, and, and we would take uh, uh, the movie Sunny. Later on, we would take uh, um, the Duke of World. Right, Duke, 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 Duke of World. Right, crossing the switchblade. We had all on reels. And we would, we would find a wall, anything. And we would light it up. That's how the projector sound. And you'd watch the movie. And for some reason, and I know why, because I the promise he'll give them to us. As long as we we're out there making noise, little by little, people started coming. Started coming. Oh, how'd you hear about us? Man, I seen you guys playing the film, but I was too embarrassed to walk the street. So, but I watched it from a distance. 
You did, yeah. We just kept going out there. We didn't care why we went out there, just that we went out there. Because we knew if we went out there, God would give us treasures out of darkness. He would give them to us. See, but this generation of millennials are not used to doing that. You know what they're used to? Well, they don't even like talking. They message. Okay, you can't message to it. The only way you message to a stranger is you have to know their number. So, uh, and, and, and this generation are not used to getting out there and like talking, actually talking to an individual. Yeah, try it sometime. It's nice. <laughs> huh? And so how do we do that? How do we motivate people to get out there and do something? Amen? See, in this generation, we need to teach people also the value of stability. Because we have to be stable. Say stable. stable. See, because if we're stable, like, you know what I mean? Like, when I say stable, not just in your thought, but, but have stability. Uh, like like in, the, in the old days, when you grew up in the neighborhood, everyone knew you in the neighborhood, and you, you lived in the neighborhood, and there was stability there. It's like my wife is amazed that I still have friends. I grew up from elementary, from before, you know, kindergarten, all the way up to high school, that we still keep communication. You know, Pat Drunker lived on 9th Street. He lives in Florida, you know. Um, um, and I, I can go on and on. I have a friend who lives in Dallas, Texas, Bob Stone. These are all guys in my, my, uh, that grew up with elementary from kids. I go back, I was arguing with um, Greg Vega, and we, and we lived across down the street from each other. And we've known each other for 50 plus years. But we're in a little neighborhood. That's not happening anymore. Right? And so we're an unstable generation. People are used to moving and grooving and, and, and breaking relationships and moving on and getting over that pain. And, and so, so they get used to moving and so they don't have deep relationships. Stability. We need stability. Dr. Eugene Bryce tells a disturbing story about a minister who returned to visit a church that he had once served in. He ran into Bill, who had been an elder and a leader in the church, but, but he wasn't around anymore. The pastor asked Bill, what happened? You used to be there every time the doors opened. Well, pastor, something happened. A difference of opinion arose in the church. Some of us couldn't accept the final decision, and we established a church of our own. Is that where you worship now? Asked the pastor. No, no, answered Bill. We found that there too, the people were not faithful, and a small group of us began meeting in a rented hall at night. Well, has that proven satisfactory? No, I can't say that it has, Bill responded. Satan was active even in that fellowship, so my wife and I withdrew, and we began to worship on Sunday at home by ourselves. Then at last you found some inner peace, asked the pastor. No, I'm afraid not, uh, said Bill. Even my wife began to develop ideals I was not comfortable with. So now she worships in the northeast corner of the home, and I just keep away from all religion talk. Instability. Do you know the average pastor stays in a church less than four years? Instability. That's very common outside of Victor Outreach. I've been pastoring this church over 20. And it's very common to find our pastor staying in a place 20. Why? Because we believe one thing, that we need stability. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in, in the same respect, stability is when I look at a person, I say, are, are these people going to be with me just for a little while? Or are they going to be with me for a long time? Yeah. 
Because if we're going to build a, re, a world-reaching organization, it takes people who say, I'm here to the rapture. Hello, someone. Why? Because that's the only way any ministry can build on itself. Because when I say build on itself, the ministry has to build on you. So if, if, if we can count on you, then we can build. But because there's, this generation is so used to moving and grooving and, and doing their thing, stability is lacking. Are, are you with me? How many of us are from Colorado? Raise your hand. Look at that. How many of us are from out of state? You see? And so we're in this generation where people move and groove, and then we wonder, how can I, how can I find a, a place to belong where I'll be by my family, and I can be secure, and I can raise my kids, my babies, my grandbabies? Is there anywhere? For the most part, no. Except here. Hello, somebody. So as we teach people the value of stability, we will also rebuild families and reconstruct personal lives. Huh? Now, some of our lives only, made to be, only need to be fortified, but others need a complete overhaul. Hello, someone. That's what we got the, the home for. They, they're going for an overhaul. Amen? But not everybody needs a home. And like I tell people, the home is only meant to go through one time. If you go through the home more than one time, you're real dumb. Because it's hard enough the first time. Why, why would you want to do it twice? Just get through it. Amen? Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> so what I want to do, I want to look at some biblical history so we can consider our walls. Right? Again, in our day and age, we need to look at the past so that we do not repeat their errors. So if you look at Ezra, the book of Ezra, it's there. The book of Ezra was written around 538 to 457 BC. Now when you look at the Bible, there's several books. There's Ezra, Haggai, our opening scripture, Haggai, Zechariah, Esther, and Malachi. There's five prophets. They were all, their lives all crossed each other during the same generation. So while Ezra was doing his thing in the back, he was like the older one, you had Haggai, Zechariah, Esther, and Malachi all operating. So let's pretend Sam, you're, you're Ezra, stand right there, just stand. And he's preaching, uh, oh, he's the pastor, and he's, trying to, he's been here the longest, been here trying to build a church, tough as nails because the people were stubborn. And he's trying, then you have Haggai, stand up Anthony, he's Haggai, and he's preaching, you know, to the people on one side. Then you have Malachi, Malachi, we'll just use uh, Janetta, once you stand, you're Malachi. You're Malachi, he's preaching, in her case, she's preaching on another, in another part of, of Israel. Malachi's preaching. Then you have Zechariah, well, you stand up, Zechariah. You have Zechariah, uh, uh, right, there's one, two, three, four. Are you with me? And then you have, well, what, Haggai, Zechariah, Esther, Esther, get Esther, we'll make Jose Esther. I made them Malachi, so you have to be Esther, all right? So they're preaching, right? So they're all preaching in Israel. Then way in the back, not quite born, getting born, he's at the tail end of all these other preachers. There's a man way in the back getting ready to preach. He's like, why do you stand up, uh, um, Tony, stand up. He hasn't been born yet, or maybe he has been born yet at the end. He's way in the back getting ready. And this generation is having issues with their people. He, they're preaching left and right. And, and then uh, Nehemiah, Nehemiah's mom and dad just had a honeymoon. Amen? And later on, he's being born. 
Okay, go ahead and sit down. So that's how it's been. the Bible is being written. Are you, do you see it? Okay. The story happened before Nehemiah rebuilt the walls. And the, the famous story is Nehemiah built the walls. Right? But the first attempt to rebuild the walls happened by Ezra. He tried to do it. But Ezra wasn't, wasn't a, a, an administrator. He wasn't a person who had that type of ability to, to construct. He was an, a, a pastor. He was the priest. He wasn't trained at that. He didn't have to go to the campus and start doing the wiring and the plumbing and doing all the building fences. He didn't, have, he didn't have that. So he didn't know how to build the walls. Are you with me? And what he fought, what he came into, and he couldn't break through because of his lack of training, perhaps. His lack of understanding. We don't know. Or he just didn't know how to cross the generation. He had two very difficult situations that he had to overcome that he couldn't. That later on, Nehemiah would. The first one was, the people that he was dealing with had a love for money. Ooh, they love money. Money, 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 money. Some people got to have it. Hey, hey, right? Some people really need it. I mean, and every generation has money, right? Money can't buy everything, it's true. But what it can buy, I can use. I want money. That's what I want. That's what I want. Right? Every generation has money in every genre. Then you have you even have uh, the guys from Britain. Dum, 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 boom, 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 boom. Money. Right? It's a sin. They even cop to it. Hello, someone. Money. See, Ezra had to deal with the people that love money. And Ezra 4.12, it reads like this. Ezra 4.12. Let it be known to the king that the Jews who came up from you have come to us at Jerusalem and are building the rebellious and evil city and are finishing its walls and repairing the foundations. Let it be known to the king that if this city is built and the walls completed, there will not be... Oh, lost my spot. Hit the button. They will not pay tax, tribute, or custom to the king's treasury, and it will be diminished. See, most people love their money. Can anybody say, oh my? See, now, now listen, money's not a bad thing. In fact, the Bible says money is a defense. Um, it's not the money that's the problem. It's the people that are the problem. It's the love of money. Hello, someone. So on the wall of President Johnson, Lyndon B. Johnson in the White House, he had a, a, a letter that was framed, and it was written by General Jam, Sam Houston. That's who they named the city of Houston after, right? And he wrote it to President Johnson's great-grandfather, Baines. And he wrote it more than 100 years earlier. It's a letter. Sam Houston's signature makes this letter very, very valuable. But behind the story is even more valuable than the letter itself. Baines had led Sam Houston to Christ. Baines was a minister. Houston was a changed man. No longer coarse, belligerent, argumentative, forceful, but he became peaceful and content. And people couldn't even recognize Sam Houston anymore, the great general. The day came for Sam Houston to be baptized. And it was an incredible sight to see. Hundreds and perhaps thousands of people came to see this man who's going to be baptized from a previous lifestyle and watch his change in his attitude. After his baptism, 
Houston stated he would like to pay half the minister's salary. When someone asked him why, his simple response was, my pocketbook was baptized too. So we need to assume here that the Jews would pay tribute to the king. So these men would just stir up trouble. And the best way to stir up trouble to stop something is to stir up a money problem. That always gets people's attention, right? Always, right? Because you know why you deal with it every day? There's not a person here that lives in any house that does not deal with money every single day. Hello, somebody say amen. Unless you're independently wealthy. And if you are, you can see me after church. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, no, see, in the battle to establish a ministry, re revenue is always the target, the first target of the enemy. Why? Because simple, no money, no ministry. So money becomes an issue. And in Ezra's time, the enemy, right here we read, made money an, in, uh, an issue. So the people bought into it. We can't build the walls. We ain't got no money. We can't, can't, can't. And you can see the whole community begin to fade away from having to build the walls that they should have built. So let me give you some tithing truth before we move on. Just, just in case you didn't know. God owns everything. Okay? So I don't care how much money you make, what you have. Ultimately, God owns it. And he allows you to keep it, or allows you to keep 90% if you want the blessing. Now, most people don't give God anything, and so they live with 100% of a curse. So you either get 90% of a blessing or 100% of a curse. So giving, my giving, is a true test of my commitment to God. These are truths. So as you look at your, uh, the way you handle what is valuable to you, the way you use it is a testament to what you consider important. There's something so it's very important to you. See, it's very easy to tell from a person's pocketbook what they value. Amen? Luke 12, 34 reads, where, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, the truth simple is God wants the first 10%, not our leftovers. Proverbs 3 9 honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruit of all your crops so tithing listen is not an issue of money it's not a money issue at all tithing is an issue of the heart hello someone it's an issue of the heart and so the generation gap Right? When we, the first generation of Victor Outreach, when we came into the, the Victor Outreach, there was a movement, there was a revival. We understood if we're going to establish a worldwide ministry, and at the time, there was only three churches in Northern California when I got saved, and there was maybe a dozen churches, if that, in Southern California, and we were talking big nick like we were going to reach the world. Yeah, right. But we understood something. That first generation understood something. If we're going to do this, we got to put up or shut up. And we said, we ain't shutting up. So we started to put up. And we knew that if we were going to reach the world, we had to have a different mindset. It was a different generation. Now, how do I get that mindset to this new millennial generation or parents of millennials to believe what we're talking about when this generation is self-centered? Tech savvy. They can Google my name. Whoa. 
You know what I'm saying? Huh? Just a few years ago, there was a terrible earthquake in Alaska. A few years back. True story. Anchorage was devastated. So a number of people began to cry out to the government. You know, the government. The government has to provide everything. Listen, the government is not your husband or your sugar daddy. Okay, so let me move on. Uh, um, the number of people wrote to the governor and demanded that he do certain things for them. They outlined the suffering that they had endured and demanded that the state take responsibility. Gimme, 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 and my name is not Jimmy. <laughs> they just want it, right? You, 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 me, me, we deserve, God, help, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, right? Later, the governor appeared on television and reported that among all the demands he had received, a letter from a boy who had written on a three by five card and had taped onto it two nickels touched him the most. The boy had written these words, use this wherever it is needed. If you need more, let me know. See, it's not an issue of money, it's an issue of the heart. Huh? Those two nickels were more valuable than a million dollars. Because that little boy's heart, we don't know who, I don't know who that little boy is, but I'll guarantee you right now, that little boy is doing damage huh, in this world. He's doing something in this world. It's an issue of the heart. Where you at? See, the people not only had an issue of the heart dealing with their money, but they lacked guts to fight. They were cowards. They were sissies. Huh? Or I like to say they were sissy lalas. Huh? See, this generation was nothing like the Joshua generation. They were nothing like the David generation. You know, the David warrior generation. Uh, no, no, no. The Joshua soldier generation. No, this generation that Ezra was dealing with were a bunch of sissies. See, I wonder... What kind of generation we are? Can I say it like that? No, let me take that back. I'm just kidding with you. So I know where we're going. I do. I've seen it. Right? Because I am confident that God is going to build a generation of warriors in Victory Outreach, Colorado. I am confident. You know why? Sometimes it takes us, it doesn't have to, but sometimes it does. Sometimes it takes the world slapping us around a little bit to get us angry enough at the devil to slap him back. And sometimes it takes that, right fellas, right ladies? Sometimes we gotta, you know, sometimes it takes something to wake us up. So, and I believe the devil has done woke up a warrior generation, is gonna wake up a, a, a Joshua generation, is gonna wake up God's mighty men of valor, huh, Esther's, who are willing to fight. Because that's what it takes. That's the type of generation we need today. Hello. Not like these people. Because huh, the Joshua generation, they fought giants in the land. I mean, they didn't, they didn't say, oh, no, I don't want to take the land. They're giants. Man, he said, what? Give me that land, man. That giant. Have you seen that giant? Yeah, have you seen that big giant? Have you seen how big his head is? With a head like that, I can't miss. <laughs> 
weren't afraid of a giant. They were ready to fight. David's generation, oh, David, mighty men of valor, right? The Bible says some ran swifter than a deer. Uh, other men, it says that one would equal 100 men. One man fought off 100 men on a hill, on a lentil field, on a hill. He had a sword in his hand, and he fought them off so long and so hard. The Bible says that his hand stuck to his sword. See, that's the type of generation we need. Huh? Not some, not, not some little, let's let, let play on my smartphone generation. <laughs> Are you kidding me? No, we got to use our smartphone. It's smart, that's good, we can use it. But give me a break. We got to do something for the Lord. I said, we got to do something for the Lord. Huh? So how about the, the generation, I, th I mentioned this Wednesday, who built this church building. There was a generation in 1960 who built this. Well, this was built in the 70s. These were, this was built by baby boomers. Hello, somebody. Baby boomers. Who's your daddy now? <laughs> baby boomers built this. So somebody, you don't know them, I don't know them, but somebody who, you know, hey, Harold, hi, Matilda, they came in here. And they said, you know, we have a vision. We have a vision to build a church. They didn't know that Victor Outreach was going to use it. But they knew God was going to use it. And they had a vision. Of, they were visionary enough to say, we need to build a building. Hey, and they didn't, they didn't just talk. Because talk is cheap. They didn't, they, they, they didn't they had, like, like I said earlier, they had to put up or shut up. And it looked like they put up to me. What about this generation? What, what, what we have to build. Are we going to do something? Hello? Don't get quiet on me now. Huh? So, as a result, Ezra built the church. His church, they didn't build the walls. They didn't have a great edifice. So he built a church full of weak families. This church had no power. Because these men and women were willing to surrender to the enemy. We were, you'll read that he never, never did nothing. So it wasn't until a generation later, remember, Nehemiah's mom and dad were having a baby. And then 50 years later, Nehemiah rose up. He was a man now, second in command. And he said, hey, what about those people back in Jerusalem? What's happened over there? Then he hears, oh, they didn't do nothing, man. The walls are crumbling. People, things are falling apart over there. And it said that Nehemiah began to weep. Nehemiah chapter 1, let's read that verse 2. I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and the gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before God. See, there was a church in Jerusalem, but the city was in disarray. Because the walls were down, drugs, prostitution were on the rise. The church had no backbone. These people were not willing to give. To get a clear picture, you have to relook at this generation. What, 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 what created that? It didn't just happen to be a torn down city. Ezra had a group of people who had an opportunity to make a choice. But they were so self-centered, they didn't look down to see the walls and the city decimated. They just cared about their own bones. 
Huh? Haggai defines the attitude of those people in the Jerusalem church. That was the opening scripture. Remember I said, he said, he comes to them and Haggai says, you know what? You guys need to consider your ways. Matter of fact, look at Haggai chapter 1, the opening scripture. I'm coming in for landing almost. Haggai 1, 4 reads like this. Look at this generation. Is it time? You got, got Haggai? Oh, it's up there. Hey, gay man. Is it time for you yourself to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe, you clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earn wages, earn wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He's given them the solution here. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, saith the Lord. So Haggai defines the attitude of those people who attended the church in Jerusalem. And he, he talked about them, go look at yourselves. You eat, but you're never satisfied. You're drinking and you're always drunk, big dragon. You clothe yourself, but you're not warm. You never have enough clothes. Ever go to somebody's closet that got so many clothes? Like they got more, they got more, more shoes than Imelda Marcos. Whoa. You guys know who that is, huh? You got to Google Imelda Marcos. Okay, Google that one. Huh? Or you ever feel like this? I've been here. That you're working, you're working, you make your money, and then you don't know where it goes? Hello, somebody. Oh, don't act like no, me, Pastor. I save everybody I got. Yeah, liar, the fat mouth. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Why? Because you can put all that effort into everything you're doing in life, but if a God is not the center, something is going to be missing. And when something is missing in your life, you're never satisfied. You're, you, you're never satisfied with, with anything. You, you want more, you want more, you want more, you want more. Why? Because there's, there's a, a hole inside of you that earns for something. It, it yearns and yearns and yearns, and nothing can fulfill it. No job, huh? no hunting trip, no boating trip, no car, no house, no girl, no boy. Nothing can fulfill it. Only God can fill that. Only God. Only God. Huh? Nonetheless, these people didn't get it. So this, this state of mind is contrary to the God I serve. So I serve a God of plenty. Listen, I serve a God of more than enough. Huh? I serve a God who says I'm more than a conqueror. Huh? I serve a God who says be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And because I have overcome the world, you shall overcome the world. That's who I serve. Huh? Haggai speaking to this generation. He goes, you look for much. In verse 9 of chapter 1, you look for much. But indeed, it came to little. Uh, when you bought it, when you bought, brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord? Because my house that is in ruins, well, every one of you runs to his own house. So the generation had things out of order. But not Victor Arch, Colorado Springs. 
See, Victory Average Colorado Springs, understand that we serve a God of plenty. Listen, you have to understand and trust the Lord with all you are. Huh? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be added unto you. You don't just repeat it. You have to believe it. Not only believe it, you have to act upon it. Because we serve a God of plenty. I've seen this, although the, somebody had a picture on the Facebook, and these guys were, were begging, begging on the streets. Right? And they had a sign. And the sign said, I'm living by faith. And they were begging. And I put mockery. Somebody said, oh man, how can you be so mean? I go, my Bible says that, the, that God has never seen his seed forsaken or begging for bread. That is a mockery. And that is a curse on a man who, who rejected God. So every time he had a hunger pain and he can't eat, it's well deserved. Amen. Hmm? No, my friend. We serve a God of plenty. Yeah. Yeah. We said again, in case you didn't hear me. We serve a God of plenty. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So as we, we learn to release, God replenishes. Huh? I declare that we are people who care about God's business. Whether you believe it or not, I'm declaring for you. I'm going to say it again. I declare that we are a people who care about God's business. I declare it. Why? Because God, and this is the reason, because God loves to bless those who take care of his business. Oh, he loves to bless those people. Huh? In verse 14, Haggai writes, said, he says, So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Jeltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house for the Lord of hosts, their God. What happened is these people got stirred up. Remember the preaching, the preaching, the preaching. Nehemiah is still way in the back, right? He ain't around yet. But these guys kept preaching, preaching. And all of a sudden, the high priest wait a minute what's wrong with it and it stirred them up yeah. right and so they said we're going to build the house and they finally built the church house but they had they had just started because god didn't just want the church built he wanted them to take the city he said okay now you're done with the church but what about the walls remember because the devil will let you build a church but he doesn't want you to take the city hello somebody uh, is anybody stirred up to do God's business? Yeah. Let me say it again. Is anybody stirred up to do God's business? What about God's business? So you can say like this, I'm a businessman. Yeah. You always want to be a businesswoman? Uh, I always say to the neighbor, I'm a businessman. You know what I'm saying? I don't play around. I'm balling for the Lord. Amen? Shoot. That's right. And there ain't nothing wrong with that. God wants us. We need more people who know how to ball for the Lord. Man, be a high stake. High stakes. High stakes. High stakes roller. Right. For the Lord. We're not doing it just to, to high sign and, and walk around and be some kind of pimp daddy pastor. No. We're doing it to win souls. We want to win treasure of darkness. We want, we want to win drug addicts, prostitutes, family members, lonely housewives, huh? divorcees. We want to go overseas into other countries and reach the poor. That's what we want to do. We're in the best business this side of heaven. That's our business. So notice Zechariah's word from the Lord. Because he's referencing the generation who lived with Ezra. He's talking to them. 
First one prophet says, consider your ways. But now Zechariah, he's hearing what's going on. He sees they're making a move. Then he says this. The Lord has been very angry with your fathers, the previous generation. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your forefathers, to whom the former prophets preached, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not hear nor heed me, say the Lord. So Zechariah is talking to one generation who's starting to get it. And he's saying to the other generation that we just read about, Don't be like them who heard the word, but they didn't take it serious. Return to me, he says, and I will return to you. Yes. So we're all crying out for God. God help us. God help us. God help us. He wants to. And you know what he says? If you want his help, you need to return to him. Yes. Then he'll return to you. Yes. That's how it happens. That's how it works. It doesn't work any other way. There's no magic potion. You can't have a drink. Jack Daniels won't help you. No. Okay. Huh? God wants his people. Let me say this again. God wants his people to return to him. Yes. Hmm? God considers their disregard of a place of worship. Because some people in this generation can take it or leave it. They can take it or leave it, church. Oh, yeah, no, not church today. I can't do it right now because I'm busy. I have other things. And I go, well, that's, I, see, my generation, we had, we had church on Wednesday, church on Friday, church on Sunday morning, and church on Sunday night. We didn't play around. And we were at every one. And then we had prayer, all night prayer. And when we had all night prayer in Hayward, Jose was there, we had all night prayer. It was all night prayer. We started at like 10 and we didn't go home till 6 in the morning. And people were like, oh man, they want to leave. So we know how to keep, you know, we have, have a bunch of Mexicans. We know how to keep them around. We made a big old pot of manula. Remember, big old pot. You want some manula? You got to be here at 6 o'clock. Or you didn't even get one little corn kernel. You don't get nothing. We, we, we prayed all night long, all the time. We said, we want to build a church. We gotta, how are we going to build a church, Pastor? He said, he come up, we're going to have turnaround Sunday. What does that mean? On this Sunday morning, everybody's going to give 90% of the money, and you can keep 10. We're going to turn it around. That way you can see how God feels. Amen. Believe me, we, we, we weeded out all the shots right there. All the sissies of, oh, ow, ow, ooh, ow, 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 They were in pain. See, but if we try it with this generation, ooh, they'd pull, oh my goodness, they might have a heart attack. <gasps> like Fred Stanford, it's a big one. I'm coming home. I'm telling you, different generation. So how do, how do we cross over that spirit that built Victory Outreach International? That broke, broke barriers, huh? That established churches all over the world, huh? In Africa, in Europe, South America, in Asia, all over the United States. How do we reestablish that spirit? Because it's going to take that spirit of the first generation. Somehow, it's got to get into us. Yes. If we're going to do anything of any value. Yes. It has to. It's a generational barrier that, I, that I'm trying to break through. I need some help breaking through the wall. Huh? It's another word for return to me is repent. Repent. 
Repent. So now, and I've shared on this, and I'm going to share it again as I close. Repent is a great word. See, the word repent. See, we were created to walk with God, right? Adam and Eve fellowship with God in the garden. There are a few men who walk with God. Enoch, the Bible said, walked with God and then was taken away. He walked with God. So he was, he was, he was with the high, at the highest point. Highest. That word pent means the highest. Pent. That's where you get the word, the penthouse. Where's the penthouse? Everybody want to go to penthouse, right? Let's go to penthouse. Yeah, we go. I'm going to penthouse, right? Because I'm balling. I'm going to penthouse. Yeah, <laughs> I'll tell you what. Yeah. Well, see, so the God says, I want you to repent. You're in the mud right now. You're stuck in the world. You're settling for pennies. When I got riches untold, you're settling for the scum that the devil gives the world. When I got something more, you need to come up, level up. You got to come up. You got to come back to the pent. You got to come to the penthouse. You got to come back to God's house. You need to repent. Return to me, saith the Lord. Is anybody ready to return to the Lord? So I'm going to say this. The pastor, as a pastor, I can establish a church. But it takes a congregation to build the church. I've did the best I can ten times. I need a congregation who says, you know what? I'm going to consider my ways. It's time to me to get back where I belong. We're going to build something great. Don't you want to be a part of something great? I do. I know Pastor Sonny, I met with him a week ago twice. So I met him a couple times. And he asked me a simple question. So, about Victor Irish, how do you feel? Where are you at? And I told him, you know, Pastor Sonny, I got... I got one goal in life. One. Not complicated. I said, I want to build Victor Outreach as big as I can and then die. That's it. Got no other goals. And I can say that with all sincerity because I was on my deathbed. And when I sat there and the doctor told me I was going to die, I even told my wife, I have not done enough for God. I'm so sorry that I have not done enough. I wasted so much time on other stuff. I have not done enough for God. Let me live. Please let me live. And he answered my prayer. See, the church, you, you're the church. You build the walls. You build the church. It's your turn. I, I've done my part. I've established it. So as the church is built, then we move to the next level. We will rebuild some walls in this community. I want every head bowed. Every head closed. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah.
Has he ever hit his body red clothes? God is looking for church builders. Salvation is the beginning. That just gets you in the game. We want to step up past that. Once salvation happens, then it's on. It's like kickoff. Once, once the salvation happens, it's kickoff. Now it's time to play the game. So if God is speaking to your heart, and you're willing to tell the Lord, God, I'll be a church builder. If that's you, as we sing this song, the altar.